You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Mike Lewis. I want to start off by asking you, is it possible to live a life and have no regrets? All right, next question. Anybody remember this song and uh, you know who sang it? Regrets? I have a few, but too few to mention. Elvis? Yes. Anybody else a little older? Frank Sinatra. Good for you. I think they're lying, but anyway. (laughs) Next thing I want to ask you if you can identify with this clip we're about to play of a state championship that he just ended up on the short side of Almost made it, but didn't. Take a look.
So, what would you call that feeling? Regret? You think maybe that's, you remember that Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge and the visiting by Christmas past. And you remember the scene where he goes back and he sees the little gal that he was in love with and she says that you have now chosen money and you love money more than me and that relationship ended. And you think when they went back and saw that that he thought, God, boy, I messed up. Why didn't I marry her? Have you ever thought that if he did marry her, would he maybe not become the bitter old man that he was? Do you think he just thought, wow, I have such deep, deep regrets. Truth is, we don't really need any visit from any past Christmases or anything else. I think we do a good enough job on ourselves. I think we keep that movie screen going in our head. And I think it has wonderments just like you saw on the screen. Regrets? I have a few. I thought back as I was putting this together, I thought back at a conversation I've had with people and I just started listing some of the, the regrets that I've heard from people over the years and started out, starts out with marriage. Both ways. Regret that I did not regret that I did. I thought about the people who said, how much happier would I have been had I fill in the blank? If I never married this person, so I'll get a divorce. That'll fix things. It doesn't work. How would you like to go back over your life and identify the sins and the mishaps and the failures? If, if that feeling that you saw on the screen, if it's still lingering and you attach it to some things in your life that right now you're dialing back up because it is regrets, they are failures, there are decisions that if you had a choice you really w would wish you had not made. This service is just for you. It is just for you. And I think you'll see why. Yep, <clears throat> we do it to ourselves over and over again. The career moves. I remember a phone call I got from a, a guy who left Charleston because he had a tremendous opportunity in a new career. Didn't take into account his family, school, church, neighborhood, where he was, roots. None of that mattered. The most important thing was it was a career move and it was more money. Only for a year or two later to call me back up and say, Mike, everything is terrible. My family's a wreck. My kids are unhappy. My marriage is not good. If I could just go back and do it, I would never leave Charleston. Now, that's not to say that we don't have sorrow. Regret and sorrow is two different stories. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we have a God, that you can have a godly sorrow. 
But regret is not sorrow. Regret is something that totally paralyzes you. It's destructive. It's debilitating. It not only affects you in the, as far as the past goes, but now it moves into the present, regret does. And it doesn't stay in the present. Now it projects it onto the future. And so that regret now is something that affects your entire life, and, and you live with it. <clears throat> sorrow, however, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow brings repentance. And that's a good thing. So you can be sorrowful and then repentant. And that leads to salvation. And that leads to, now, say it with me. No, say it one more time. No, is that possible? But then it contrasts the no regret that is in Christ, godly sorrow, repentance. It contrasts it with a worldly sorrow that brings death. In other words, there is a way you beat yourself up that's not in God. It's not right, but we do it sometimes. And it's a worldly, fleshly sorrow, and we just keep beating the fool out of ourselves. Dean has accused me in the past, falsely so, <laughs> of the way I deal with my failure sometimes is, she says, I self-flagellate. That's a fancy word for just beating. She said, you just walk around and you got this, this whip and you just hit yourself. Why do you do that? Stupid, 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 stupid. Anybody here ever talk to yourself? Do you answer back? <laughs> Talking to yourself is okay. When you answer them back, though. <clears throat> A man says, I married the wrong woman. He's going to fix it now. Finds another one. Guess what? Anybody? Guess. Does it fix it? Regret over your kids. Regret over not following God's call. You feel like you've missed something. The door of opportunity was there at one point. Your, your heart felt it. Maybe it was a call. Maybe it was to do something. Maybe it was to be something that you're not. Maybe it was to have a, be a missionary or on a mission field, but now the, the door has closed. And now there's sadness, which you can repent of, but be good, but not regret. Not regret. How many of you, I mean, I, I just would, and I, I don't want an answer, but how many of you walked through that door today coming in here, and if you really were honest, you say, you know, I live in regret most of my life. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you a story from the Old Testament that I think you identify with because children of Israel did the same, very same thing. God said, I'm giving you the promised land. Give them the whole promised land. He said it was a, a land. It's a, a promised land is a figurative species. It's a literal land, but it is the, the blessings of God, the place where you prosper, the place where you know, things work out well for you. The hand of God is on your life. It's, it is the promised land. Everybody has one. And so God said, I want you to go here, and I want to give you this. And the children of Israel says, no. 
I'm not going. They disobeyed. And then they wandered in the wilderness for, for 40 years, wandering in circles. One sure sign that you're in regret is you tend to go around the mountain again and again and again. <clears throat> then they decided to do this, which is what we do oftentimes. They're going to fix it. And so now they decided they're going to go in the promised land, but it was not God leading them. They, was, they were going to do something on their own. And guess what? That didn't work. To try to fix what's broken just does not work. People who try to make their life different, to have to get pregnant and have an abortion, is going to fix it. It doesn't. They didn't miss opportunity, but now they're going to do it. It doesn't work. <clears throat> regret leads to apathy. Because in the regret now, you stop the push. In, in the regret, somehow you, you don't feel like that God's is blessing you and your family. And so in order to have this godly family or this home, and you're pushing for it, you're praying for it, you're believing God for it. Now all that stops and and you just accept that fact you've missed the boat and now this is second best. It's, it's kind of it's like it's kind of like you have God has a plan A for your life. But if you miss plan A, then you have to take B. And it's a lesser plan. And then if you take B and you mess B up, then you go to C and that's a lesser plan. So finally you end up someplace where you're so far from what you think God's will for your life is until you stop trying. That's where the apathy comes in. That's where the paralysis is. That's where you accept the norm of what you have in defeat. And it feels hopeless. Are you living the life God intended? Or have you stepped out so far until you don't think you can ever get back to that life? Have you bought into something that you believe it's not right. God, in fact, in John 10, 10 says this. Look what Jesus said. I came that you may have life and have it. Question, question. Is that a true statement, yes or no? Is it yes, yes? Is it just true for the people who haven't failed? Or the people who failed and sinned and messed up, is it still true for them? And you know the answer. The answer has to be yes. But how do I get there? In John 15, it says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be total, complete. Is that true just for the people who don't mess up? Or, can this, or is this joy intended for the people who mess up and sin? You know the answer. The problem for abundant life is for all people, all followers. The promise is for everybody in Christ. Now the question is, how do you get there? What's the prescription from God's word? What does he say about living a life of no regret? Because here's the deal. The first point is this. Is you've got to think like this book says. This has to be your truth and reality. It's not what your mom says. not what your dad says. not your grandma. It's this book. What does this book say about that? 
Because that's what we have to do. We have to think biblically. We have to think right. And this book talks about people who mess up. But how does it work? Let me show you this. Let me see if this illustrates the point. See, most people <coughs> believe that God had a plan for your life. And this, this is God's plan for your life. You read scripture and you heard people talk about God says, Jeremiah, I, I've got a plan for you. The plan is not to do harm. The plan is for your good. Here's my plan for your life. But then we mess it up. Make choices. Things happen. And now we live now a smaller life. This is plan B. Oh, I can't ever get back to God's original purpose. Now you have to live a substitute, a lesser than. Or, when God planned your life, he had foreknowledge, not predestination. Predestination is when you don't have a choice. It's like the, the little Presbyterian boy that fell down the steps. Since it had to happen in his world, and once he fell down the steps, he said, boy, I'm glad that one's over. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about foreknowledge. I'm talking about foreknowledge, and that is that God saw the beginning and saw the end at the same time and knew every decision you're going to make in your life and saw everything that's going to happen to you. And now he takes those points, which represents the red here, and takes those and weaves them together as a part of your life because he knows what you're going to do. He saw you make that mistake. He saw you make a bad choice. And it didn't surprise him when you did. But he wove it into your whole life. And so now you can't screw up big enough to surprise God. He has already woven in your life so that the plan for your life is still going to happen if you don't derail it and stop. If you buy a lie then he can stop it. If you don't buy the lie and you buy the truth of this word, then it does not stop you. This, you know what I think about this? I think this is baloney. No, no. You haven't missed the ramp. You have not missed the boat. You are not living too far away that you can't live out the purpose God has for you. This, my friend, is what the Word says. Now, <clears throat> that, by the way, this is the sovereignty of God. You know, you, know, you know that God's got one problem. He thinks he's God. Yeah, and listen to these scriptures. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, the ancient times. What is still to come, I say. My purposes, look at Isaiah. My purposes will stand, and I will do all that I please. Could I add to that? What I please, when I please? Because I'm God. Sound like some of you parents, don't it? Why, 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 why? Why? Because I 
You know the drill. <clears throat> so the question is, has anybody here bought the lie that you can never accomplish or never walk in the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life starting right now? Anybody bought that lie? I hope not. That'll be going to deal with it before it's over. We'll deal with it before service closes. All right, you still skeptical? Still skeptical? Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. If there was a way to say, what, what is the worst sin that we have seen all through history? Now, I know you really can't categorize this way, but it, it makes sense in my head. If Jesus is an innocent person, and he was, if he was a total righteous person, and he was, never deserving anything wrong, and he was. And yet now to have Jesus, by the creatures he created, with his own hands, to come back at him, and now to beat him, to spit on him, to beat him almost to death, and then put him on a, finally put him on a cross to die, that's a pretty bad day. And who did it? His very creatures. The very creatures he created did that to the maker. That's pretty bad. Let's see what scripture says about it. And yet it was the Lord in Isaiah. Isaiah, The book of Isaiah says this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Acts. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purposes and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Look at Acts 4. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, and they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, if God took the very life in what they did to Jesus and knew it foreknowledge ahead of time and had all that built into the plan for Jesus for redemption for you and me, then I got a suggestion for you. I don't think you can up that ante. I don't think you are powerful enough to change that. God's foreknowledge and plan for your life. I don't think you are. What, what does it all mean? Well, it simply means this. If greatest sin in history, if we categorize it that way, if that did not thwart, change, alter the plan of God, then I don't think you can. Does that mean that your choices don't have consequences? No, they have consequences. Does that mean that if you sin and in sin there's death? Yeah, things die, things happen, and there's consequences to all that. But at each one of those moments and choices, do you think it surprises God? And the answer is no, not at all. <clears throat> Look at this scripture. Ephesians 3, it was his intent now that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places according to the eternal purposes of God. Eternal, which he accomplished in Jesus Christ himself. The Lord's purposes are eternal, and purposes with you are eternal. They don't change. Let me give you another illustration about a guy named Pete. Well, Peter. Peter in the Bible. They're sitting around the, the uh, Last Supper. And Jesus said, you know, you, you guys are going to betray me. And Pete speaks up. No, never. I never will. Oh, these other boys, they're weaker. They will. But I never will. Pete goes out, meets a little girl. 
I mean, I'm talking the apostle Peter. I'm talking one laid hands on. I'm talking the shadow of one who's healed people. Run into a little girl. Oh, you're with him. You're a disciple. No, I'm not. I don't know him. Not once, but three times. Jesus told him ahead of time. You're going to do this, Pete. I, know, I have foreknowledge. You're going to do this. He could have gone on and said, but it's not going to alter your plan. My plan is for you to be an apostle. My plan is for you to write books of the Bible. My plan is for you to be this, one of the strongest leaders in the early church. The moment that happens, you're going to feel like a total failure. You're going to feel sorrow. But don't let it turn into regret. Because I'm going to move you out of that place, and that's going to serve you well. And you'll be preaching and ministering one day with a life that looks like this. And the reason you can do this is because you have lived through it. This has not destroyed you. It's helped make you. This purpose I have for you is still happening. After the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore and he builds a fire like they've done many times. Takes a little thing and lays it out there and puts some fish on it, cooking fish. The disciples are going back fishing. They're in the boat fishing. They come close enough, they see Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to him. I'm wondering what this first encounter after the resurrection, after his failure, what's it going to look like? And then Jesus says to him, said three times. The third time he said to him, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And watch this. And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. How many times did he deny him? And Jesus asked, do you love me? How many times? And the Lord said, you know, and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he said, well, feed my sheep. So Peter went on to become the man that God called him to be. He, he's not unique. I want to ask you where you are. Where are you on moving on and becoming the person God made you to be? Are you stuck somewhere? Have you believed a lie? You think you've missed something? Let me tell you about another guy. <clears throat> Anybody remember a guy named David in the Old Testament? David <clears throat> sleeps with his best friend's wife, then has him killed. And keeps on going. Sorrow, yes. Repentance, yes. Consequences, yes. But he went on to become the king, the man that God had designed to be. It did not stop David from becoming. Anybody old enough to remember... Um, When uh, Watergate happened, a few of you do. It was, a, it was a governmental thing that happened, and the president and, and a couple of people went to jail because of it. Yep, Watergate. One of the folks who went to jail was a guy named Chuck Colson. 
he was a part of that administration, and so he participated in things that were illegal. He went to jail. I mean, he was a convicted felon. As a result of that, of that going to jail, of being a felon, of the embarrassment and of all the stuff that happened, he started a little ministry called the Prison Fellowship. Prison Fellowship now is the largest Christian outreach to prisoners and families in the entire world. It has more than 50,000 volunteers around the world working in hundreds and hundreds of prisons in 88 countries around the world. Millions and millions of people ministered to and helped. What did he come out of? Oh, was it their sin? Yeah. Was it painful? Yes. Were there consequences? Yes. Was it predestination? No. It was Colson's choice. But as a result of that, he went on to become what God had designed for him to become. Question. What is it that God has designed for you to become? That the enemy has fought so hard to convince you that you will never be there because there's just too much failure. You just missed the boat. If you hadn't have done this or hadn't have done this or you didn't go to school here, you, didn't, you were born on this side of the track, none of that matters. God is sovereign. He just thinks he's God. And when he chose you, my friends, he chose you. His sovereignty did. <clears throat> how about, a, how about, a, how about a, a boy named Saul? He became the Apostle Paul. And I've always wondered about this. I always wondered about Paul. He's, he's, on, he's on his way. I mean, this guy was a, he was a religious zealot. I mean, he was extremely knowledgeable, prideful, arrogant, Knew everything was right. Had never met Christ, per se. But he's about to, because he's on his way to persecute Christians when God, he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and God saved him. And I've often wondered in my imagination, at what point, because you know it happened at some point. At some point, he's part of a small group. He's in some town, maybe it's Damascus, and he's gathering a few believers together, and he's encouraging them to go on since he's met Christ now. His life has changed, totally changed. And in this group, one of the moms speaks up and says, Paul, you know I have forgiven you. And Paul says, for what? He says, um, you know all that persecution you were doing? You know, you're responsible for my son being killed. And I wonder, Paul writes about it's no regret, so you know he's living this out. But I wonder if he said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I really am. And I do have godly sorrow. Forgive me. But God turned me around. Changed my life. and I hate that's a part of it. But I got to go on to become what God's called me to become. Now, all, that, all those are wonderful stories. But I'm really not interested in Paul or David or Moses. But Moses 
was a young man killed a guy. Murder. And had to run away and hide. He's in the wilderness someplace, hiding for years and years and years and years, 40 years. And all of a sudden, one day, this guy who had murdered, here's a burning bush, and the bush is not consumed. And a voice comes out of the bush and calls Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go deliver my people that's in, in Egypt. I got a mission for you. Well, I, I, killed, I killed this guy. I know. And I've been here for 40 years. I know. But I've been molding and making the man of God that I need for this mission. It did not thwart my plan for you. It actually helped make you. And now you're the man and now you're ready. But that, again, that's another story about somebody. I want to know what's your story. I, I want to know, are you up and running? Are you following this dream that you think God has for you? The plan that he has for your life? I love this clip I'm about to show you. It's a priest who understands this concept and gives a guy who's a criminal, gives him a second chance. Take a look. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. 
forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. That's from Les Mis. But for every single one of you, the picture of of God dealing with you. When you think the judgment's coming, and yet it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Don't forget, he says. Don't ever forget. You belong to God. The sovereignty of God is a very real thing in your life. His plan for you is a plan of the sovereign, almighty God. And the power of the blood of Jesus to cover our sins, to deliver us from sin. Not, not just the act itself, but deliver us inside from the regret of the sin. See, the Bible talks about things like this, that Christ carried to the cross our sorrow. He bore our sorrow. How do you carry sorrow? Some of you carry regret. And he redeems us from that inner sense of regret and of missing the mark and of what we've done because of the power of of the blood of Jesus himself. It is no less than miraculous. It is no less than a change of life. It is no less than a change of heart. The power of the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that equals it and nothing can stop it from doing what God's will designed for him to do when he sent him here. Why? to die. Why? So you and I could live. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.